Hey, James, thanks for joining me today. Looking forward to chatting with you about your work at Atlantic Health System. Hey, great, Anthony. Good to be here. Uh, very good. Very good. Let's start off by um, learning a little bit about your organization and your role over there. Sure. I, I work at Atlantic Health System uh, here in the uh, northern half of New Jersey. Uh, Atlantic Health System is a five-hospital system, actually six if you include the pediatric hospital. Uh, about 1,800 beds, uh, 17,000 employees. Uh, we have about 5,000 physicians on, on staff. Uh, then, of course, we have uh, uh, our accountable care organizations, where a lot of my work has been. I'll jump on that in a second. But we have about 3,000 doctors involved in those value-based arrangements. You know, personally, again, I'm a family physician. I just stopped seeing patients uh, in December of 2018 uh, after 32 years of a family <laughs> doc. So uh, it, uh, it's uh, hard. I, missed, I, missed, I still miss those patients. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, my role over the last 15 years has really been involved in organizing physicians into you know, better, better performing units uh, as far as whether the model was an IPA model than an ACL model or many other models. Uh, I've been involved in a lot in, in the physician uh, performance around. Okay, very good. I understand your CEO uh, gave you a challenge, or I don't know how you'd articulate it, around improving the data quality, data maturity, and the use of data at the health system. Can you tell me a little bit about that charge, that mandate that you were given, and then how you've gone about trying to make it happen? Sure, sure. The the Back in 2012, uh, we started to get the physicians involved in, of course, the accountable uh, uh, care organizations. You know, uh, The Affordable Care Act uh, provided us that platform. And we realized that, wow, one of the biggest barriers we have is fragmented care. You know, it's not coordinated. We have some people doing better care management than others. So there was the care variances. Then there's the care coordination and these silos, which uh, were just you know, making it very challenging. The uh, enterprise, from the health system standpoint, exact same issues. Multiple pockets of data in different areas, all siloed off causing the fragmentation of intelligence. And there was not that culture of, of everyone using data and information at the level they needed. So our new CEO, Brian Gragnolotti, came in uh, about four years ago and, and really said to us, looking at our data we had with physicians that are in ambulatory practice-wise, he said, wow, yeah, you've got more data on your physicians than we had back at Hopkins. I mean, <clears throat> let's go with this. And let's really make it an enterprise-wide movement to develop that culture of data, that, that uh, information management uh, platform that's needed, the uh, governance, everything that went with it. He said, we, we've got to move on this. So about four years ago, uh, I initiated our clinical and business intelligence team, uh, hired uh, some uh, four data scientists and a director. And uh, kind of went step by step from there, um, going down that road of, of better information management. And some of the other things you've done to to make that happen up to this point, a few any few of the other things that that you worked on. Sure the uh, the the platform again that we were using very similar to most like many health systems was again that kind of internal data warehouse. And keeping everything in, you know, in, inside our walls, you know, safe, secure, uh, and we realized that, you know, we we've got to take it to another level. 
So we quickly started looking. Again, it was the timing of everything was also that we were just going on Epic um, also at the same time, both uh, throughout the five hospitals, staging that over the over a 12-month period. And then our, our ambulatory practices that were employed. But of our 5,000 doctors on staff, about 1,000 are employed. Uh, in the, you know, All 1,000 of those are in our side, our ACOs populations also managing them. Uh, they, those thousand doctors were going on Epic Ambulatory. So we had the transactional record of the inpatient and outpatient, the EMR, uh, being trans, you know, uh, changed over to the Epic mm-hmm. model. We still, though, had 40 different independent EMR versions out there. Right. And, that, and that's just among our primary care doctors. You, know, you add in specialty EMR versions, you're up to 70 different versions. So, again, information was very challenging on the doctor side as far as the practice side. And, again, I already mentioned the internal side. So what we looked for is a cloud-based environment that could really start to bring in multiple different sources of information, whether it's the clinical information coming from the electronic medical records, whether it's inpatient or ambulatory. But then also, you know, claims-based data, you know, that we get from all the payers. And we manage about... 425,000 patients in our ACOs. We have four ACOs that we've developed, you know, four because we have varying levels of risk-taking ability inside there. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have uh, claims data coming in, lab data, pharmacy data. Uh, you know, we, we're bringing in Census Bureau data, um, everything we can possibly touch from a standpoint of data to give us a better understanding of our patients, our populations, and our providers, and our system. We brought all the data in, and, you know, where, where, where do you put that? Well, again, we, we realized that the cloud environment was the most efficient place for it to be as far as the storage goes, uh, um, the most efficient from a standpoint of the power, the processing power uh, that we needed. And then the tools, the analytic tools. So we, we knew that without a doubt, you know, that's where things had to go. Most health systems, a lot of times, you're, you're going to have people concerned. Is that a secure place for our PHI? As a, and so that you have to come to terms with. And, uh, and so that took a little time uh, as far as getting people used to this cloud environment. But we did a search and looked at all the different types of uh, options. And we went ahead with uh, Amazon Web Services uh, and um, developed that platform. So, yeah, we dealt, then we had the data coming in, the modeling of the data, all the different things you have to do with that data. And then... You know, looked at, of course, at the same time in parallel to what do the users need? You know, you, can't, you know, just don't build it and they will come. You want to be f- focused at all times. What were the physicians needing? What was our service lines needed? What was home health uh, needing? What, was, what, were, what were everybody's use cases? Not only for the, the uh, access to data and larger amounts of data, but then the intelligence within the data. So the use cases, the platform, the analytic capabilities all kind of came together and then there you go, uh, starting to develop some, some very significant intelligence for people to make their decisions with. So internally, you had to do a bit of convincing to get people comfortable with the cloud. You want to key me in on um, any of those discussions? Were they with you know, CTOs or were they more people on the clinical side? Who needed, you know, what types of positions needed the most convincing? All of the above. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, it's um, it's a combination of factors. You know, there's, of course, just the the element of change is hard enough for people. 
when they're used to certain workflows and used to their data being in their server, their private server under their desk. And yeah, wow, I, I've got control over this and don't change it. And so there's the change element. Uh, and then there's, you know, you really have to go right from the top down, you know, as far as the senior management has to embrace the fact that we will no longer be making decisions based on a whim of what we think is going to happen next. We want to use predictive analytics, you know, mm -hmm. not just descriptive. We want predictive, we want prescriptive. We want to go there. So the senior management was very critical. And for them, the biggest uh, issue is, is it safe? Okay, safety is very critical. And of course, cost. You have to have your business model. So between the business model, the safety uh, uh, discussions, then you get the senior management realizing it. And again, they, then they saw the use cases where you know, the business units inside the health system and, and in, in our clinical lines had the need for better information. Then it's, uh, okay, this is a strategic you know, direction that we're going. And, and we need everybody to be on board. So that was the most important thing is getting the, 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 uh, the uh, C-suite, the, uh, the head of the enterprise and the business units to all uh, adopt this. And it takes some time. Each, each one has their own concerns or, or needs. So, so you go through that process of a lot of meetings, um, a lot of education, and, uh, and then you try to find your quick wins <coughs> that you can bring out there as you're doing that to say, hey, understand you're having a problem thinking about taking your data into the cloud and, and doing some different things with it analytic-wise. But let me show you what this business unit just did. And, and let me show you what this service line just did. And, and then all of a sudden you see like the, the four strategic pillars of the organization, which are again, growth, of course, and performance, and, and then population health, and then education and research. You see those four pillars being armed by different constituents within it with, with really great information, great reports. You know, all of a sudden you're achieving your goals. And, and whoa, you know, you're, you're, you haven't been achieving your goals, but you're also not utilizing the platform. You're not utilizing the data, the tools. And so it starts to become, you know, a little bit of transparency and other things to help the convincing process happen. So you're a physician by training 30, 30 something years. Not every physician that moved into a role you're currently in would be successful. Sometimes physicians are not uh, very good at being subtle and taking direction and maybe consensus building. Um, what are the keys to being good at the job you currently have? And what kind of individual will be successful in a job like that? Maybe who isn't it for? Yeah, I've never been accused of any of those things, uh, Anthony. But, uh, <laughs> uh, the, you know, I think it, you know, being a physician, I think makes it easier. Because I have one thing that matters, and it's the patient. Okay. Yeah, that has been my whole life you know, serving that patient's needs. And when I found out, you know, this goes back, you know, 20 years ago, I, you know, we were doing really well, our, my practice, you know, and, you know, the whole managed care, you know, thing was going and we were doing well in our performance. But, but then when I really said, you know, performance compared to my peers, okay, I'm doing better, but, but how am I really doing it? You know, if I put myself up against evidence-based guidelines of what I really should be doing, not, 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 compared to what everyone's doing today. 
And so when I took uh, five different factors in the diabetes, you know, evidence-based care guidelines, and I found, <clears throat> I did a, a chart audit and found out that my practice was only 40% compliant, you know, whether, hmm. when, when you do the composite of all five. How right. many patients got all five things done? Only 40% of them. I was failing. I was failing myself. I was failing my patients. So, so that drove me to say, it isn't all the doctor's fault. There are some doctors, yes, that, that, uh, that could be much better at what they do. But I think majority of all doctors want to be good doctors. And, and yet we didn't have the EMR was, was failing us. You know, the, the different uh, uh, types of tools we were giving them and reports were failing. And so we, we didn't give them what they needed um, to really go to the next uh, level. And, and that's where I said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and start to organize these docs better into a, uh, uh, a, a platform environment to take them where they need to be. That's the same thought process I have when I go to uh, our, uh, you know, enterprise and our, our, the senior management I work with. It's like, you know, are we doing the right thing for the patient? And if you keep that focused, you know, everything else can go away. I mean, there, there's going to be people that are scared of data, um, mm-hmm. scared of a new platform. They're thinking that, uh-oh, it's going to infringe on my turf or, uh, or you know what, uh, you know, geez, do I have, you know, job security here or not? Uh, with what's happening here? Yeah, there's a lot of things like that. But if we constantly look at the opportunities that this process is giving us, nobody has to worry about their job. There's so many things that we can do. Nobody has to worry about their turf. It's all of our turf together, working together, and we're going to develop the best outcome for the patients. So I think it was um, something that, uh, you know, I, I think that carries me through a lot of this. Um, and there's definitely a lot of smart, smarter people here than I am from the standpoint of whether it's financial and legal and all the other things. So, so again, you have to be a team player, which mm-hmm. some, docs are not, some docs are not used to doing that. Um, so team playing is very important, uh, but it's for the right reason. That's what counts. Yeah. And it sounds like you have good support, um, to get the, get the support you need to carry out some of these missions that you've been given. Um, let's talk a little bit about COVID had, has some of the work you've done to improve data, put you in a, a good position to deal with the COVID influx. Oh yeah. Uh, I think we, uh, we really, the, the team at Atlantic did a phenomenal job. I mean, as you know, from being from New Jersey, um, you know, we, we, we've been hit hard. Um, I mean, we're our, our, our daily census um, at, at one point was uh, over, over 820 beds filled with COVID patients. And, and a large number of those were on ventilators. So, yeah. so this, it, it, was, it was, you know, maybe not as challenging as the middle of New York City, but uh, still, it was challenging. So uh, the team, though, really came together. And, and from a data standpoint, yes, uh, uh, the predictive models. I mean, we had, we had like uh, our business team was doing like three or four different models uh, to, to help us, you know, just keep an eye on where do you think it's going? Where, what's, what's the surge going to look like? When do we think it's going to peak? Um, so we had a lot of descriptive reporting for us on a daily basis of how much testing uh, how many are positive versus, you know, the, uh, how many were uh, people under investigation. Uh, we did a lot of our capacity planning as far as PPE, supplies, everything else. 
uh, transformed floors, you know, um, into critical care bed floors um, because the ICUs were just totally overrun. Uh, so we did all that. But then the unique thing that we did also, especially in our, um, our uh, new platform, was we took the patients where we had, again, more information on them <clears throat> that uh, beyond just maybe the clinical record. And again, because again, a lot of our doctors are not on the EPIC system. We don't have access to all the data in their clinical records. So we took claims data and everything else, and we did uh, utilize uh, some of the AI you know, uh, uh, algorithms that were available out there on predicting which patients, if they got COVID, were going to be the sickest. You know, so that's the COVID vulnerability index is what we used. And that way, we were able to do more aggressive, uh, proactive outreach to all those patients who had the high scores on their COVID vulnerability index. Uh, and then we were able to say, hey, you know what? Don't go out. You know, they're, they're, they'd be on the phone with like doing, again, we are feeding the telehealth interventions, uh, the e-visits, and all the new technologies of how to reach these people and still interact with them. And we were able to say to, you know, some of the other people, you know, I'm running out of food, though. I got to go to the store. And we, no, 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 no. Don't go. Mm-hmm. We've, got the, we've got a community health person in your area. They're going to go to the store. They're going to get your groceries. Okay. So things like that. We were able to take that, that surge that was going up. And I think we did. We made a difference in flattening that out quicker than going up into a really dangerous area. Uh, and so that, that flattened out. And now, of course, obviously, right now we're, we're um, on the mend. So there's, there's things, connections there between that type of work, the, the ACO work you've done. It's all managing risk, data analytics, and improving care. Anything more you want to say about the ACO programs? I mean, the the key with the physicians, we'll come back to them for a second, as far as our accountable care organizations. The physicians uh, in the, you know, in in the early days was, oh, I don't have enough information. Now it's like, I have too much noise, right? way too much noise. And again, uh, uh, this is, this has been one of my kind of very focused agendas is to take the noise out of a physician's workflow, out of, and not just a physician, the care team, because yeah, we we very early on um, back in the you know 2010-11 or so, we, we embraced the patient-centered medical home model, the full care team model. You know, it's not just the physician only; it's it's also their clinical teams, their receptionist, their office manager, and then again, it extends beyond that practice. You know, the specialist, all the clinical coordinators, care managers, everyone. So our teams need to know the information that is going to make the biggest difference at that point of care as as real time as possible to be able to make the impact on the patient and then clean everything else out. So there's only, if I'm going into an examining room, first of all, the patient in the next examining room might not have been there unless my information systems realized that, you know what, this patient hasn't had a visit in six months their A1C is out of control. Anybody with A1C is out of control. We see every three months until they get under control. If all those rules are in there, the key thing is, first of all, the patient who should be in the next room but isn't, now we get them in. Mm-hmm. So then, and I, and I don't even know that's happening. My, my receptionist, my clinical coordinator, my office manager, they're the one getting the thing. These patients have to get in to see Dr. Barr or they have to have a telehealth visit now with Dr. Barr. So we, we feed the right person at, at the right place of care for that person's needs. Then I'm, I'm going into the next room, and I didn't realize that this was one of these patients that already have been 
you know, brought to me proactively through through the intelligence. But then I'm going in and I'm thinking, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta search through this EMR and find the right information and, and put it all together and figure out this versus with that, with that, is gonna make me wanna go in this direction. Now, it's like, okay, this patient's chronic diseases all look good, these three out of the four, but this fourth one, even though they're coming in for, let's say, low back pain, you make sure you address that fourth condition because we've got a prediction here that that's gonna end up in an emergency room or hospitalization real soon. So, so if I can have that be as, you know, again, decision support, decision science is behind mm-hmm. our decision support, then that's going to help us get where we need to be and efficiently using the doctors, efficiently using the right type of care, the right place of care, all of that. That's where we're going with the ACO movement uh, is a strong emphasis on the information, helping us know where we need to be. So you're a VP of clinical intelligence, correct? Right. So what do we, what do we think of when we think of clinical intelligence? Uh, do we think of clinical? Do we think of IT? What's the relate? If not, what's the relationship with IT? What yep. should it be? What is it? Good, great. I'm I'm actually glad you asked this question because um, VP uh, of clinical intelligence doesn't mean I'm intelligent. Okay, um, <laughs> it's it's a it's a ti- it's a title that was chosen because clinical intelligence means more than just knowing clinical evidence-based guidelines of care. It's not just care variance. I mean, that's an important part of it. But it's in addition to the intellectual intelligence, it's emotional intelligence. And that's where I think clinical intelligence really is the right term. Because if you're a clinician and you're you're not using emotional intelligence, you're not using social determinants of health intelligence, community intelligence, you know, you know, spiritual health intelligence, all these things you know, the understanding the patient's, you know, fears, their concerns, the cultures, the barriers to care. If you don't do all that, I don't care how much intellectual intelligence you have, you're not going to service that patient the way you could. So clinical intelligence is, again, a combination of different intelligences that really come to a better clinical outcome. So that's the one part. The second part of your question as far as IT. So, yeah, I mean, IT is a, a critical partner in all this. You know, you have, of course, the ability of the enterprise IT system to keep the inpatient and, and uh, service lines, uh, home health, everything working as efficient and as possible. But then our IT team really helps us gather the information into that kind of longitudinal patient record. So anything mm-hmm. that's happening to the patient, whether it's from our enterprise, let's know about it. And then, of course, supplement it with all the other information that's coming from outside our enterprise so that we have the best understanding of that patient. So IT is involved in gathering the information wherever possible. Uh, It's also very much involved in our security. Uh, And as far as they are the ones who govern, you know, what's going on, along with our compliance and legal team and everything, you know, governance of data is very critical for you to understand and manage uh, so IT is very much involved in that role every step of the way. Uh, and then the, the exciting part, I think, for IT is a lot of the new technologies. Yeah, how do we, how do we embrace, you know, different things inside our uh, enterprise or our ambulatory practices? You know, how do we integrate remote patient monitoring, all the sensors, you know, you know wearables, patient wearables, Fitbits, whatever it is. How do we bring that information in? That's where the IT people really help us 
find how to aggregate information and, uh, and use the right technologies. You combine that with your data team, your data science, your analytics, you know, and reporting, and wow, you know, that, that's where you really shine. It all comes together and it blurs at some point, right? Because yes. there is no clinical care without IT, right? Exactly. I mean, anymore, essentially, all, all the advanced things we're talking about, they are IT. So it's just a big blur in the middle. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's, it's in IT, just like we're transforming how we care for patients, you know, uh, with the practices, IT needs to transform. It can't just be the data warehouse, you know, with with uh, storage of information and and uh, let me give you some support to your uh, your software vendor that's come in and is linking to helping you with this. It's it's got to be more forward thinking of ours. How do we use technology to be more efficient, more secure, you know, um, you know, more capable of uh, bringing all the data in that we need? Right. Very good. So you know, speaking of IT, you mentioned Epic. You're an Epic shop, but I understand you've gone uh, uh, outside of Epic uh, to do some things, um, tools, data analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's extremely common. Most people stay within sort of the four walls of Epic, so to speak. But did you do something unusual and, and why did you? Well, um, the challenge is that when you're bringing in, you know, non um, EMR type data, like the Epic and and any EMR, you know, you're, you're entering data during a transaction, a visit with a patient, a call with a patient, whatever, you know, so you're doing transactions that are bringing data in that is, you know, some of it's clinical data and very useful and some is financial or whatever, billing collections, whatever you're scheduling, all those things. So a lot of transactions are occurring. uh, But when it gets to also then bringing in claims data and uh, uh, other data sources, uh, a lot of the EMR systems are, are limited in their flexibility and mm-hmm. uh, the ability to apply different types of analytics. Uh, uh, you know, again, a lot of things in the ACO world, you've got, you know, attributions of patients and different methodologies for different payers. And then you have roster changes with your physicians of which practice are attributed to, they're aligned with it. And if you try to keep all these changes, going, you know, mastered in one place, nobody can do it all in one software system okay you have to realize that you need to bring in data mastering capabilities you know take for instance you know uh, master patient index uh when you're bringing in multiple data sources from different locations that patient demographic could be one character off and you are not matching that patient with the right page you know that information with the other information so you have these uh you know whether it's dupes or other issues and and this is where data mastering is a very critical part of your platform that you're setting up. And, and we actually went ahead with uh, Verado, uh, uh, signed down with them to help uh, bring in, you know, external referential you know, databases that we could take the data from Epic or from claims and from other areas and be able to say, okay, which patient mm-hmm. is this really? Okay. Mm-hmm. And you develop that single source of truth. So that's very important, whether it's on your mastering of patient information, um, roster, uh, your provider rosters, your providers, again, different sources are going to tell you this doctor is different from that doctor, yet they're the same doctor. Um, so provider mastering and then that facility mastering, all three, patient, provider, facility, you have to master all those to keep things, you know, 
as far as the integrity of the data that you have, and then the uh, the uh, refinement of it and the publishing of the reports. Uh, if you don't master it from the start, uh, you're going to have a, a major headache. And being on a quote-unquote enterprise vendor like Epic, that does not get you away from needing master patient index. I mean, there's always other data that's going to come in. Is, is that right? Yeah. Inside Epic, they have their patient identity um, uh, methodology and process mm-hmm. that they use, which is, which is it's, it's good. But it's when, it's when you're trying to combine then multiple other data sources. If you're, if you're only going to worry about the clinical care workflow flows inside, you know, your Epic clinical record, and, and you're really not interested in other information, then uh, fine, you know, choose a good EMR and, uh, and, and go ahead. How would you describe your philosophy about cloud um, and your sort of cloud journey in terms of your thinking? Are you a sort of a total cloud convert, like a lot of the CIOs we speak to are uh, cloud first? You know, not in every single case, but they're very pro-cloud. Everything that they feel is appropriate to go there, they want to go there. Sometimes I've heard large, large files mentioned that imaging studies or things like that or genomic things, maybe not, but everything that could go should go. Is that your opinion? I mean, I would uh, say from the standpoint of the enterprise, um, the cloud uh, comfort, we'll say, is still evolving. Um, but uh, from from my standpoint, I mean, I, I've seen it. Uh, I, I've seen projects that were, you know, a simple running of a very simple report, which normally would take about four hours. It took us two minutes and 15 seconds. I mean, you know, I've seen, you know, more complex projects that you have to really bring in a lot of different data and, and, uh, and match it all up and, and attach, you know, everything together to produce a report. And eh, your, your, your sprint tells you, oh, it's going to take a full week. And now I see it done in four hours. So, I mean, the ability to automate the power of the processing, the efficiency that that gives you, and then you throw the analytic tools on that are you know, available inside the cloud environment, it, it's, um, it's cloud first as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we all know that the uh, kind of ironic thing that's happened to health systems with COVID is a completely uh, flooded with patients, which in any other business would be a good thing. But with hospitals, they had to cancel all their elective surgeries, which meant a huge financial hit, and not to mention the people that didn't get their surgeries who yes. needed them. I love the word elective. You know, my mother is needs a hip badly and uh, just got it rescheduled. But when you can barely walk, you're like, what do you mean it's elective? Anyway, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's another case. Sure. But you hospitals have to recover financially, right, which means you have to make people feel safe to come back. Um, talk about that. Are, are, has that involved you at all? The, the work the hospital's doing to sort of get ready to welcome people in post-COVID and get people comfortable? Does that touch clinical intelligence at all? Yeah, I mean, we've, uh, yeah, first let me mention about the, the health system, which uh, again, Atlantic Health System has done a tremendous job from a standpoint of safety. Uh, of, of course, the patients, but also our, our staff, you know, the, the frontline heroes, the, the people. I mean, it's, it's just been, I, I just can't fathom, a, a, you know, 
this to how strong the team has worked and, and done a great job. Um, and, and again, I feel personally like if I was going to be a patient, boy, I, I, I would not uh, hesitate if I had a certain need right now. I could go to Atlantic Health System. Now, now in the midst of, you know, the, the COVID, you know, you know, uh, high surge of patients, mm-hmm. certainly everybody's going to be afraid to go to the emergency room or the hospital. And, and, and the thing is, though, right now, those fears persist. And, and so uh, I think uh, what we've been doing, not as much on the clinical business intelligence, I'll get, I'll get to that in a second, but you know, more from a standpoint of uh, the uh, messaging and uh, to, the, to the community, the patients, and, and the providers. We have webinars every week for our providers in our uh, ACO networks and, and giving them you know, really specifics on here's our protocol for when you come to one of our practices, mm-hmm. you know, and, and back when it was, you know, more intense, it was, look, you know, you're, 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 we're going to screen you by the phone first, and then you're going to come to the parking lot. You know, you're going to text us when you get here, you're going to stay in your car. We're going to come out and check your temperature. And then, you know, when you're, if you, you fight, if you pass that screening, then you're going to stay in your car until we know the room is ready because we don't want you standing and you're sitting in a waiting room with anybody else. Mm-hmm. So when your examining room is ready and cleaned, then we're going to text you to come in. Then we're going to take you right to the examining room. And then, you know what? We're not going to stop at the reception on the way back, on the way out, and do your billing and, and everything. No, we're going to do that all online. So, so giving specifics about protocols of how you're going to be managed as a patient coming into whether it's our health system uh, for a surgical procedure or whether it's our practices, you know, really getting down to the point of showing them that this is, this is what we do. We do this for every patient because each of you, is so important to us. So, mm-hmm. so doing that is, is something that, and then you have to just keep repeating it, repeating it, okay, over and over. Um, and again, we've, we've been aggressive with helping a lot of all the different, whether it's departments in the hospital or in our uh, physician offices with uh, the supplies that they need uh, to manage, because that was always you know, a struggle with uh, the uh, uh, personal protective equipment. Uh, so so we, I think we, we've done a nice job. On the intelligence side, yeah, what we did again there is uh, from a standpoint of getting people back into the schedule uh, that have had this, uh, that have a demand for care, but uh, are afraid to come in. And, and really we've identified, again, using our kind of predictive analytics uh, that these are the patients that, you know, haven't had a visit, haven't had a touch in any way, whether it's a telehealth visit or a telephonic one, um, any kind of interaction. And yet they have five disease, chronic disease states. And, and you know what? In, the, in, the, in their notes, it shows that they were getting ready for a hip replacement. So, you know, don't, don't sit back and, and react for that patient. Wait for that patient to call you up. You're calling them up. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and you're saying, hey, how are you doing with that hip so far? And how, oh, how's, your, how's your diabetes, your hypertension doing? And, and, and you feel safe enough to come into the office, you know, now here's what some of the things that we're doing. And, uh, and then once the, you just keep working your way towards that comfort mm-hmm. level, hey, do you feel comfortable enough to go into the uh, operating room and get this, fi- this hip fixed? So it's a, it's a matter of a lot of uh, uh, education, but our intelligence is kind of driving and prioritizing, you know, who is the next one we should be calling and inter- you know, proactively outreaching to. What's the next big thing on your agenda, on your strategic goals? What's the next thing you're working on that's sort of not, not done yet, but this is, this is a big one? Okay. So the, I just actually gave a webinar 
to uh, or a couple hundred doctors um, before we got on together. Um, and, and it was about coming back, you know, from COVID. Most of these are primary care doctors on this webinar. And uh, about coming back and about the new norm. And, you know, we, none of us ever seen something like this before. Yeah. Uh, and the most important thing is, number one, let's help. Let's do this together. Physician to physician, ACO uh, to, to, to practice and physicians, and health system to physicians. And everything. So I'll do this together, number one. You know, number two is find the ones who are, have the greatest need right off the bat from a standpoint of physicians. You know, the ones that are financially just thinking, I'm closing up. I'm, I'm yeah. done, you know. Right. And, and, you know, if they were ready to retire, fine. But there's the practices out there that are, are really having a hard time. They haven't secured any of the, uh, the SBA loans or anything else. And they're just, you know, they're having a hard time. So, so obviously take care of those that are, have the greatest need right now. But my real kind of project is coming back to uh, rebuilding physician practices, you know, the new norm, mm -hmm. in, a, in a way that I kind of mentioned dur during this discussion was in a way that uses technology much more than what we used to. I mean, yeah. we, used to, we used to struggle to get a doctor to do a telehealth visit. I mean, sure. come on. You know? And now it's like, no, it's going to be demanded. Okay, the mm -hmm. public wants... Doesn't doesn't want to see you face to face. They're still they're still afraid. Okay, but the telehealth visit at least allows us to have some interaction, you know, face to face, uh, even though it's you know it's through technology. So using technology, you know, like the uh, the telehealth and the and the portals and the uh, you know chronic care management technologies, uh, remote patient monitoring technologies, um, chat box, uh, symptom checkers. Um, you know, I can go on and on about different technologies that we should be incorporating into our practices, into our workflows, into our staff roles and responsibilities, and really, you know, helping people learn these new technologies, these new ways of doing it. Because in the end, I, we, we, we should have better outcomes. And we shouldn't have 30 to 50% of everything we do be evaluated as being useless or, or, or actually harmful. So, I mean, right. everyone knows the Commonwealth studies and everything. I mean, 30 to 50% of what we do should not be a waste. It's right. certain, it certainly shouldn't hurt anybody. So if we can take that out, we can make healthcare affordable. If we can take away the noise and the less impactful work that we're, you know, is just getting in our way, we can make physicians and providers of care reestablish relationships with patients that are healing relationships, uh, not transactional relationships. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I want to see it go. Technology and information taking us to a new level of relationships in the healthcare delivery system. Those excess things you're talking about are requirements put on by either the government or insurance companies or even the health systems themselves. Is, is that what you, about that 30, 50%? As far as uh, administrative inefficiencies, those yeah, those things you're saying, thirty to thirty percent of what we're doing is a waste of time or harmful. Yeah. Where are those things coming from? Are they coming from government, insurance companies? Check this box, all these things. I mean, there's a combination of things. There's a lot of administrative burden that is put on for you know with no 
you know, um, uh, impact to the patient outcomes. And it, it has bogged down, you know, the, the practice medicine and the delivery of medicine. So, yes, there's, there's administrative inefficiencies, but there's also a significant amount of variance in how we treat people and how we use different procedures, tests, um, you know, use information. And, and, you know, why are we doing four different things to a patient when the, if you looked at the information and you had the right analytic tools or so, there was only one thing they needed. So, yeah, so again, it's doing the right thing, using the right information um, can really take out the right. variances, the variances in care, uh, the, um, the make it more aware of what is actually making an impact versus not. Mm-hmm. You know, why are we treating them with these drugs when all of a sudden we found out that those drugs did nothing? Um, so more information about, uh, and especially some of these very expensive drugs, uh, we need more information uh, inside our decision-making, again, coming back to decision science, we need more information in there for both clinical and financial decision support to take away that 30 to 50%. Final question, Dr. Bohr. I've kept you for a while. I appreciate your time. Uh, to Advice for other people in your position at other health systems. So people in the same role, similar role, trying to do the work you're doing, based on your experience, any advice you can give them on things you've found that help you be successful? Yeah, I think uh, two things. Um, one is uh, when you're embarking on this journey of in improving your information management um, throughout the enterprise, the, uh, the culture is so critical, okay? You, you've got to have it embraced, as I said before, top-down, everywhere. It has to be a culture cultural change and there will be resistance uh, but you have to really hold steadfast to it and again set goals you know um, uh, you know uh, that and and strategic pillars we'll call them that everything we're doing going forward has to be aligned with this and you have to use information to show that the you know you are aligned at the income that the outcome has been um, advanced towards that strategic goal. So some type of a performance framework that's built within a culture of information, that's one thing. The second thing I'd recommend strongly is to, uh, to really follow the, uh, the recommendation of, of form follows function. We have multiple functions that I just described, and I told a lot of the practices today on the webinar that, you know, what's, what's your function you're going to use? You know, what, what, what's your form you're going to use to satisfy the function of understanding the patient better? What are you going to use to collect social determinants of health information? You know, what are you going to use to get remote uh, uh, patients that are home, get the data coming to you about their weight, about their blood pressure? What are you going to use? So, when you say, what are you going to use? That's the form. The function is what do you need to make the patient better? What do you need to prevent the disease? Mm-hmm. So, so what do you need? That, that's, the, that's the functions we have to be performing to make these patients, you know, get the kind of better care. Uh, and, and the form needs to follow that. It can't be, you know, it's always been top down. What is the right. insurance company, the government, somebody else telling us what we should do? 
No, it's got to be flipped upside down. What's the patient need? And there, that, what are the functions going to serve those needs? And then what's the form going to be? And, and I'll, I'll finish with, again, uh, what we kind of put as our, our, our motto here at the ACOs. Um, we were kind of figuring out, what, what, if you had to give an elevator speech uh, real quick, because there's only one floor, um, you know, what are you, you going to say you know, when they say, what do you do at your ACO? And, and uh, our, our, our response to that is that we, we care better. And by that, I mean we help physicians and providers care better for their patients. We help patients care better for themselves. And if we do a really good job and get into the communities where these people live, we're going to help people care better for each other. So care better is what we're all about. And uh, I thank you for the uh, time today. Very good, Dr. Barr. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Great. Thank you. Take care.